If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. All right, let's kick it. Happy Sober Day, friends, and welcome to the Sobriety Diaries. My name is Nate, and I am a grateful recovering alcoholic. That may sound crazy, but I wouldn't be where I am and helping others without it. So for that, I am grateful. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we talk to other recovering alcoholics and addicts. We hear their stories and hope to help others who may still be struggling. Don't forget to pop over to Instagram friends and register for our content creator bundle giveaway. We will announce our winner on July 12th, but let's get down to the business at hand. Today, we are chatting with Dave from Saginaw, Michigan. Hey, Dave, how are you today? I have been so fortunate to get into recovery. If I wasn't in recovery right now, I'd be uh, dead, alone, very sad, sad man. So exciting for me to be able to share. And hopefully there's one person out there that will hear my story today. Maybe it'll link up with him and uh, do something great in their life. Yeah, it's funny. You know, as alcoholics, our favorite topic is ourselves, isn't it? Hey, that's absolutely (laughs) true. Do you feel like your sobriety is in jeopardy today? No, honestly, it's not. I take steps each and every day, and this is one of them. Uh, there, you know, there's several things that I've thrown into the game that keeps me me going. Can't tell you that after nearly 13 years that I don't do crazy things like, you know, you get the little flyer from the newspaper, has an advertisement for the grocery store. Usually on the back page of that, down at the bottom, There'll be all the wine and alcohol will be down there on sale. And I'll be darned if I don't look at that doggone thing and go, hey, look, Corona's $11.99 today. What a great deal. There's always that sort of a challenge, but I I really don't have a desire to drink and to do any kind of drugs at all. So I have to say no, but there's, you know, it's always out there. It's always looking for me. We are closer to our next drink than we were from our last, right? So I always try to keep that in mind. Well, with that, let's open the diary on Dave. My first memory in life was in my living room, and my mom was in the corner behind a chair, and my dad was going at her. Not physically at that point of what I can remember. I will have to tell you, I was about two years old, and I vividly remember this. Before my brother swept me off my feet and took me into another room, I grew up with an alcoholic father whose father was an alcoholic, two alcoholic brothers in my home, and an alcoholic mother. Alcohol in my family was just a normal thing. I remember holidays in the house, and it wasn't, I was probably eight or nine, and it was acceptable during holidays for, you know, a little guy to have a little nip, maybe a little drum buoy. Or I remember my brothers having me out at a 
softball game and I was probably nine or 10 and I walked over to the beer tap and they had a keg out there and just put my head under it, started drinking and it's a cute little story in my family. They just, that was a cute thing. That was the attitude that set me on my way. My uh, brothers were a lot older than me. 11 years difference was the closest brother to me. The other was like 13, I guess. My dad had left after that episode at two. So my mom was alone and she was always working, you know, raising me by myself. So my brothers pretty much took care of me growing up. Um, my sister also, but more so my brothers. I was around keg parties at four years old. I remember them very well. I was taken to the drive-in movies and I was just always around them. Around 11 years old, I believe, was the first time somebody blew me a shotgun. And, you know, it was at a party at my brother's house. And it wasn't even a party. People were just hanging out. It was just normal times. That's when I started getting high. Marijuana was probably a huge downfall in my life. It wrecked my school career. I would say by my senior year, I was just, it wasn't just marijuana anymore. I was snorting anything I could take, taking any pills I could take. Normally not uppers, but we did mescaline and stuff back then. And I was off to the races, starting really 11, 12 years old, and I never stopped. It ruined a career in the Navy for me. It ruined my career. I had a uh, longtime food service career, and I had finally gotten back into cocaine. Get around to that story in a second. All those things in my life had been ruined by the drugs and the alcohol. When I was 24, well, I got out of the, I went in the Navy, I'm sorry. The Navy was also something that gotten ruined. I loved the Navy. I got in the Navy when I was 18 and 19. It lasted until I was 24. I was a 4-0 sailor. I loved it. I had a great job. Blew it because I was not going to quit smoking pot. And back then, it was when they started doing the little uh, urinalysis tests and whatnot. And I was like, come hell or high water, I am not going to stop getting high. So I blew my career in the Navy and was going to be a 20-year guy. That was my plan. I left there and started working food service in New Jersey. I met my wife, Jeannie, who I am proudly still married to after 36 years. You know, I give that one to God because I'll tell you, I should not, she should not be with me. We had uh, our first son when we were married about three years. We moved to Myrtle Beach, South Carolina right after we got married. We just kept partying and got harder and harder. In about 1991, we probably going into our second separation. This is what stopped us. Somebody invited us to church. So we went to a church and got born again. I really got very religious. We stayed there about 10 years. At the end of that 10 years, the pastor had fallen. Something happened. He was gone. A month before that, I left my career in food service I went to work full-time ministry. The oversight board came in and fired all of us that were on staffs. After blowing off a 10-year career, I am sitting there with nothing. 
really mad at God. Just had nowhere to go. Jeannie and I spiraled after that. We went down and that's when the cocaine use started. We just got into it really bad. Lasted about six years. She finally left me and we were definitely getting the divorce. It was terrible. I was a verbal abuser. I was I was just a bad man. Cocaine use was spiraled out of control. We were terrible parents. We had had a son who was 17 who later became a heroin addict. Thank God right now he's not. He is out of it. But another son who is still tr- struggling with his alcoholism. All because of the wake of destruction that I left behind me. By some miracle, after that, during that separation period, about 10 months into it, kind of a crazy story. I'm a big Van Halen fan. And Van Halen, uh, it was 2007, Van Halen was going back on tour. So I bought four tickets. And I had my two oldest boys, and I said, hey, let's, let's go. You know, they were all in, and I had that one extra ticket. And I called Jeannie, and I said, hey, what do you think about going to see Van Halen? And so she went, and I always tell her, hey, Van Halen got us back together <laughs> just before she punches me. We started dating after that. Three months later, we moved back in together. But the drug abuse had continued on, and it, it kept going it was a little lighter in the cocaine and for me it was a little more in the alcohol my true alcoholism started to really kick in it was about that lasted about two years until it was time for me to do something i had a fateful day i have a my middle son was about 12 years old that day i was cooking drunk as always my middle son came in and said something that I construed as being a smart aleck. I began chasing him around, screaming and yelling, knocking him over the head. He was hiding behind the bed, and I was kind of slapping him on the top of the head. My oldest son came in, luckily, and was like, Dad, what are you doing? And grabbed me, pulled me away. Well, that day was my day. I was out of control, and I was out of the house. That was it. I had a friend who had a beach condo that let me go down there and stay. I went down there for seven days, sought out a pastor friend that I knew, asked him to help me find some place to go get help. So I went to a rehab for 42 days, and it was an amazing experience for me. It was tough on the whole family because here I I just went and took off and left Jeannie with the boys, still two at home, off on my Christian retreat, as she would have said, rightfully so. She was angry, but I had to get selfish with my sobriety at that point. If I didn't do that, we wouldn't be where we are today. So I did it, and I went for my 42 days. When I came back, she was gracious enough to allow me to move in. At that point in time, For me, the day you come out of rehab is really the day you pick up a white chip. That's your first day, if you ask me. 
you know you have that pink cloud thing or whatever you want to talk about it when you're in rehab i say i like to say everybody finds jesus in the joint kind of the way it is hopefully you would learn while you're in rehab something that you can carry out and that's what i talk to i work with a lot of guys who are in rehab for the first time you know that's something i tell them i say you'll need to find something while you're here that you'll be able to apply while you're out in the real world and be able to use that to keep going and that's kind of what i did and now hits has progressed from that to just that daily reflection something that i look at every day i try to i'm really um working on every day just looking at what did i do wrong you know where did i fall short is there anything i need to make amends for today my third time working a 12 step program by doing that it has allowed me to just continually look at myself but hopefully most of the things in the way back are cleared up but now it's the day to day my day to day thing that i'm working through which is for me is very important and doing this podcast with you working on my own podcast on the leadership board of a 12 step recovery program christian base i was there from the beginning and help open up those are the things that keep me going in my life you know i have to each and every day if i can give a little bit away by helping somebody else that's what that's what works for me you know for me i have to do that but my whole life changed around when i got sober me i had uh my whole vision for what i wanted to do as far as a career and everything changed so i went back to school i graduated last year about a year ago right now i graduated from purdue university with a bachelor degree human services at 59 years old me <laughs> but i i wanted to help people now i'm the director of a youth runaway homeless youth program and i work with a hud grant and i actually help 18 to 25 year olds come off the street and i move them into apartments and it's and it's an awesome situation everything in my life has turned around my vision money is not um something i chase at all anymore i am blessed beyond belief i'm a giver i will help you i will give you my shirt i will do anything i can do to help people and it always comes back to me it's just like the sobriety thing you give it away to keep it you know my motivation i learned in an ethics class in college about motivation and it really changed my thoughts about things i don't do things to get things anymore that's what you know i did for the whole beginning part of my life i was always motivated for me and now i'm not motivated for me anymore i just i work for dave thomas wendy's founder so dave used to say he was one of the most humble guys i'd ever met in my life dave would sit around he'd go you know you do the right thing cuz it's the right thing to do and that stuck with me because it's so very true i mean that if you live with that mantra and if your motivation is just to do the right thing because it's the right thing to do and that's an inner thing that's an inner thing inside of you what is the right thing i think we all have that inner peace inside of us that knows what is right and what is wrong even when we're a little kid <laughs> what's wrong you know. <laughs> if we, yeah if we're doing something wrong i created a little life vision statement as i uh 
came out of rehab, started getting this vision for what I wanted to do. And it was to guide people to help, to get the help that they need simply by using the story that I've been given and to help them write a new story for their lives. That's it. That's my purpose in life anymore. My purpose is to help others who are struggling and to be a good father just by letting my kids see my story. My older kids are proud of me. They are happy of what's going on with dad. My wife and I, again, we're almost 36 years by an absolute miracle. My wife is proud of me and my wife trusts me. Those are the things as you get older in life that are really, really important. You know, family, what can you do for your neighbor? And that's me. That's my story, Nate. That's awesome. Wow. You're such a good storyteller. I could listen I, I could listen to you all day. I can relate to a lot of what you said. You you use the word ruin a lot. My alcoholism ruined a lot of things for me as well. Career-wise and relationship-wise and and then you kind of took it full circle to people now being proud of you and I think in its simplest form that makes it all worth it to me is mending that destruction not even necessarily pinpointing a certain moment but living your life in a way that number one my I can be proud of but that others will be as well I love that you said that well, you know, and, and it's it's neat that you just uh, brought that up about that, that moment thing. I was in a meeting with my brothers the other night. They talk about, I don't know what moment that change happened, but there yeah. was something at some point in time that just really turned me around 180 degrees. And, you know, I would call it spiritual, supernatural, whatever it is. Yeah. And... You know, I told you that I had had a, you know, a bad experience with religion. Now I'm not a religious guy, but I'm a very spiritual guy. I am God, you know, is in my life each and every day. There was no way in the world I feel that anything would have happened good in my life without God. But it's neat that I just sit around and quit thinking about it now because it's been some years that I just like, when did all this happen to me? You know, where did it happen? But it was probably more of an evolution too is we just go on in life but something clicks some point in time and you know i sure am glad it did nate amen one of the things that i will try to focus on as this podcast sort of evolves is removing the stigma of our 12-step program that i believe that we both were is a religious program versus a spiritual one. Can you sort of elaborate a little on the spiritual aspect and and maybe your spiritual journey? Absolutely. Again, as uh, having a bad experience, it was tough for me to come back into, even to walk into a church, Nate. And in the program that I go through, I can say this program because it's okay. So it's it's Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate Recovery is a Christian-based 12-step group. That it was, one, it was hard for me to get back into a church. And I, I like to tell this story a lot. 
So I was a real worker and everything when I, I was a children's pastor during that 10 years. So I, I was always wanting to do works, you know, and do things. And I thought that that was the way that Christians did that, showed how much you loved God. And, you know, that wasn't it at all, Nate. It was <laughs> something totally different. But when I got back into church, I sat. I did not do anything. I did not want to get involved. I didn't do anything. After a couple of years, I guess I kind of felt like I should be doing something, you know, I'm kind of a technical guy, so I got myself into the technical side. I said, this is cool. I'll go up and I was in a pretty big church. I applied to go up and work in the control room. Mm -hmm. I did the video switcher. Yeah. So I'm talking to all the cameras and, you know, doing that and running videos. And I do all that stuff. I'm in a little dark room with, you know, just a couple people. It was great yeah. because I didn't have to get spiritually invested in it. I didn't have to deal with people. I just did my job and I was like, this is great. I'll do that. The 2019 in November, my church had started making this push. They were going to start to celebrate recovery. And a guy who's the worship leader and associate pastor kept talking from the pulpit about this celebrate recovery thing. And I know I'd been in celebrate recovery. I know it, but not in leadership. You know, we need some leaders for Celebrate Recovery. They're going to have these meetings and they're meeting every Sunday night or whatever night it was. And I'm just sitting there going, I know he's not talking to me. I'll tell you right now, there is no way. I said, I'd like to, you know, maybe I'll go to that Celebrate Recovery. I said, but I am not getting into this leadership thing. And it went two months and he's still talking about it. And I'm going, why is he talking about this so long? They have no leaders. What's going on? And I'm telling you, Nate, I heard it as plain as day. It's because you're not there. That's mm -hmm. why he's still talking about it. I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Damn it. Yes. <laughs> so I showed up the group of people and it's not like, it's like people from different churches too. It's kind of cool. It's not like, Hey, you know, come to our church and go to Celebrate Recovery. You know, it's a, it's a community deal. Nate, I'm going to tell you what, the people I met and the friendships I have cultivated since in the past year and a half have been amazing. It took us a full year to actually open. We didn't open until October 2020. They have a lot of, there's a big book you have to go through. You have to work through the 12 steps as a leadership team, which, and it's a fantastic program for me. You, you know, that's where I'm at, you know, and it's, it's taken my spirituality and just stepped it up a whole bunch. It's taken me out of that religion and straight into, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm a whole different being. I mean, I believe, I believe the Bible a lot more than I do. I, I look at it and in different ways. I've read the Bible a whole bunch of times, Nate, but I'll tell you what, I can look at something now and I read it 15 years ago and I look at it today and I go, wow, there's a whole different meaning to, for me. You know, there's just yeah. something different and that's exciting for me. And I like to talk about things. I like to call upon to get up there and talk on and do a lesson or, you know, give my testimony or pick up an offering or anything. You know, I just like to, to share some of the things that God's done in my life. Hopefully again, like I said earlier, I touch that one guy or that one girl, you know, I tell a story. That's, I think, God's plan for me and God's plan for my life. That just puts me, I'm, I'm thinking as high spiritually as I could ever get. Awesome.
You know, for me, I did not grow up in a religious household. That was... We have in common that we did an inpatient treatment program. I was there, I think, for about 50 days, so I got you beat on that one. But, <laughs> you know, as I started to learn the spiritual side of the program, I was able to throw out the the stigma of the religious side of the program and I just want to continue to keep that sort of top of mind on the podcast so I appreciate you sort of touching on the spirituality you said something that jumped out at me you said you showed up so much about recovery helping others who may still be struggling is simply about showing up how do you show up for the sick and suffering alcoholic today? You know, I I am an open book. As I told you, I work with homeless youth and young adults. Although my I work with a HUD grant, so I'm I have rules. I still there are ways that I talk about myself. And I've actually got one of my clients actually showed up at Celebrate Recovery for the past two weeks, which was really cool to me. I think he found out about it though through my podcast. He was like, Hey, I found your podcast. And I was like, Cool, you know, go ahead and listen to it, man. Right. <laughs> and that's about all I can say. But I will tell you, there's a, a place called the Recovery Ranch out in Lore, South Carolina. These guys come on a bus, it's guys and girls, and they come on a bus to our Celebrate Recovery. They're a huge part of our Celebrate Recovery. And they come, I'm going to tell you, I am just there for those guys. They're, they're coming in there, a lot of them, their very first time ever being exposed to, you know, anything like this. And they have questions. They, you know, they want to know about me. Um, you know, they get to see me talking and doing things. But, you know, I'm just always there, Nate, for anybody, anybody who is in recovery and wants to talk and hopefully, you know, hear some of my story and put it together with them. I'm big in the community. I know all the places for people to go. It's a sad area in a way because the heroin addiction is crazy in my area. You know, Same it's a, such a transient area and you're right all over the place, but there are not many people that know all the places that you can go and get help. And right. so I really chase them down and especially I chase down places that don't cost any money. You know, it's easy to find, you know, you can jump on Google and the first four places that have that little ad mark, you know, to go get help are there. You know, my brother out there who's, you know, living in the back of his car, shooting heroin every day, you know, and, and spending every bit of his money on that. You know, he's not going to be able to get in that rehab. You know, that's a real concern to me in America, to tell you the truth. I mean, I am I am deeply concerned about the lack of affordable rehabilitation programs. I think the government, I think that's where the money should really be going to things like that. So part of me putting myself out there, I make myself available to try and help anybody get to any kind of help that they can. Huge proponent of all the different programs, um, all the different 12-step programs I'm a huge proponent of. You'll hear me talk about it on my podcast. I don't believe there's any one right way for anybody to get sober. I don't think there's any one way for anybody. I always say every meeting has its own flavor. And if you don't like that meeting, 
you go find another meeting and you go to, it might be in the same building at a different time because every meeting has a different flavor. You keep going. If you don't feel like you like one, go to another one, stay about three or four times. Go. If if you don't like it, go on, move on to the next because you're going to find one. You're going to find it. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I don't mind handing out my number to people big on that. I've got recovery for real (laughs) business cards and I'm passing them out. I let anybody call me anytime, encourage them to listen to the podcast, maybe catch a little wisdom here and there. And that's the deal. Sure. And I will link all of Dave's information in the description of this episode so that folks can get a hold of you if they choose to. I appreciate that. In speaking of the meetings and sort of, you know, everyone has their own path to recovery. I don't think any one or two look the same. For me, it was a 12-step program and hearing stories of people that I could relate to and share that lived experience. It is amazing to be able to relate to someone that you look different on the outside. You come from different backgrounds. You may have never spoken to or thought that you would relate to outside of that meeting room. That is very powerful for me. Was there a story you heard or a relationship that you built in early recovery that was sort of a building block for you? We have a very close family. Um, We've known for 30 years, probably. This family, I saw them yesterday. You know, I mean, I I know them very well. Our kids grew up together. She was actually, she homeschooled all her kids, seven of them. Our oldest child, she took him through kindergarten and first grade, I think. She homeschooled him. And then we took, took over and we started doing it. So I'd always looked up to them. Even though Ernie was an alcoholic and he, uh, you know, he fell a lot, but he always kept trying to get right. You know, he was in, uh, he was a youth leader, you know, he was, they were always plugged into a church someplace. And, you know, guy that ever told me about Celebrate Recovery. I had known that, you know, he had been very involved in that Celebrate Recovery. And 30 years later, he's still plugged into that celebrate recovery and being able to go with him to my first meeting, you know, there's a huge fear factor. I'd gone to another 12 step group, probably a few years before I was probably buzzed to tell you the truth. Somebody else invited me and I went and it had no effect on me at all. The point when I was, I knew I had a problem at the next point, you know, the next juncture with Ernie, you know, invited me to go to celebrate recovery and You know, the fear factor is something that's huge in, I feel like, in every person who has an addiction problem to be able to, you know, it's that step one, you know, it's being able to admit, you know, that especially as guys, man, oh, I got some, you know, a shortcoming, you know, are you joking? Um, I'm an alpha male, you know, there's no way. It was for me being able to go in having somebody who I admired so much. I go into a small group meeting with him and listen to him talking about his shortcomings in front of all these other people. And I will tell you, that first meeting right there, I shared that meeting. Being able to break that barrier down of fear was just an amazing thing. Do you, do we have time? Can I tell a little story about my fear, go for fear it. deal? Yeah. So I got away from my mom. I didn't talk to my mom for nine years. It was all over. I was embarrassed and I was ashamed that my lifestyle things, you know, were just 
not going that great and my mom wouldn't be proud of me. Nine years, man, didn't talk to my mother. A terrible time for me. I thought of my mom every single day, but couldn't bring myself because of my fear to do anything about it. And, you know, I equate this to every single day, another layer got built up on this mountain. So it made it easier for me to look at it and go, well, I'll never see her again. Right. Mom will die and, you know, I might go to her funeral and I might not. I mean, there is this huge mountain of separation. One day I was at work and my nephew, Brian, called me. He's about five years younger than me. And uh, we basically grew up together. Brian called and said, your mother's in the hospital. And he said, you have a plane ticket sitting at the Wilmington Airport. He said, you leave at 4.30. He said, you be on that plane. I will pick you up in Detroit. If you're not on that plane, I will see you tomorrow morning. So I went and got on that airplane. And I flew up there. Brian was waiting for me at the airport. And Brian didn't cut me a bit of slack. He drove straight to the hospital. Hmm. I was straight freaking out, Nate. Yeah. I was so afraid of going in there and facing my mom and all the disappointment that she had in me. So I walk into that room, Nate, and my mom is sitting in that bed, and she goes, David, bro, <laughs> I watched a mountain crumble and disintegrate in front of me. It was the most powerful thing I'd ever experienced in my life. From that point, Nate, I'm not afraid of anything. There's no fear in me at all. I try and I tell, I tell this story all the time because I want people who are afraid to get out there and put themselves out there to not be afraid because that's the key. If you can put yourself out there and not be afraid to open up, man, you get this thing. You get it. Wow. That's powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, man. It's a great story. It's a great story. Dave, what do you hope to leave as your legacy? Wow. You know, I'll tell you, I, if people could just say Dave really loved people, because that's what I would like my legacy to be. You know, Dave was somebody, you know, Jesus said, love your neighbor. I want to be somebody who doesn't have any hate or judgment in me on anybody. I want to be a guy that really genuinely loves people. And that's what I want people to know. I want them to know that I'm a guy that had no judgment, loved people, and just wanted to help them. In our short time together, I can tell that about you. Ha, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Yeah. More than you could imagine. <laughs> Dave, what are you grateful for today? You know, I am, I am grateful to be alive. I am unbelievably grateful for the things that God has done for me. I am, you know, those things include the relationship with my wife, Jeannie. Uh, she is, you know, she's an amazing woman. And for her to, she graduated college at 44, by the way, she's a registered nurse. Awesome. But for, you know, for her to still be with me and to, you know, her to believe that God was going to fix her husband at some point in time and it wasn't going to be her fixing me. Um, you know, and to stick with me, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for that because our life together now is wonderful. It's all that I thought, um, a marriage should be. 
and my children. Uh, you know, even though, you know, I got a 16 year old that's, you know, starting with his mouth. <laughs> my as 20, they do. <laughs> right. As they do. My 24 year old that's struggling and my older son who is, is, has battled through that heroin addiction and, and, I also have a five-year-old grandson named Elijah, who is an awesome, awesome young man. We actually are raising him, you know, due to drug addiction. He's an awesome guy, but I'm, I'm real grateful for all of them. I'm grateful that my kids are seeing the change in my life. I had one of my sons, my middle son, um, you know, who actually admitted to me for the first time he was an alcoholic this weekend. Oh, wow. And he told me how proud of he, he was of me, something I got uh, a couple weeks ago while I was in church, uh, my pastor talked about talking to your children and how he talks to his daughter. He's proud of her just because she's mine, is what he said. And it was a revelation to me. I don't need to be proud of my kids because of their accomplishments, because that makes you look kind of at their shortcomings also. Yeah. Sometimes as a parent, you know, I, you know, we all tend to judge a little bit and, you know, I wish you would have done it like this or whatever. I have a whole podcast about that. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> and to me, it was such a revelation. You know, Jeannie and I both went to all of our kids, you know, we eyed eyed them and, and said, we're proud of you just because you're mine. It kind of changed something in my whole outlook of my kid. You know, I can't. You know, I, I still get upset with them. I mean, it's only been a couple of weeks, too. <laughs> sure. I'm working it out. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things. But it's, you know, it was really a revelation to me. You know, I mean, they are mine. They are flesh of my flesh, blood of my blood, bone of my bone. You know, I really need to show those kids how much I love them just for who they are. And, you know, that's that they are mine. Dave, tell us about your podcast and what else you're working on. Ah, that's great. The fun stuff. So, the fun stuff. <laughs> so my podcast, uh, Recovery for Real, was, you know, really just born out of an idea. I just wanted to do something else. And I'd started listening to podcasts a couple years ago. Then about a year ago, I started thinking about my podcast. And I said, I think I'd like to do this. We, uh, you know, we were in getting into the pandemic, too. I said, I might have a little time to do this, even though I had stuff at work, but I was working from home. So I said, you know, I could steal away some time and, and do that. And recovery is a day to day, hour by hour thing. And there are so many things that come up on your day to day, you know, life that affects your recovery. And to me, it's that living life on life's terms thing. Again, there are so many different things that come up and there are so many people that have gone through it. You know, I wanted to start talking to people that have been through it. I wanted to share some of my things. Uh, I, you know, I'd had so many people talk to me about, hey, are you going to write a book someday? Because I do, I'm a storyteller. And I did want to write a book, but it just never, and I started doing it and it was like, I'm looking and I'm like, oh, well, I want to do this devotional book because it would be kind of easy. And I look at that idea and I go, you know, yeah, that's kind of cool, but it didn't seem as fun to me. This podcast thing kind of seemed fun to me. So yeah. I was like, I wonder if I can do it. And I started, you know, jumping around and, and man, I just, I spent that whole year reading. And then in December 
I guess, you know, after I'd done it for about six months, I started buying some equipment and I, I went through a whole set of equipment and I sold it all. And I went back and got, cause I did Dude, two podcasts. I bought, I bought so much shit <laughs> and loved it and hated it two days later and sent it back. And I mean, Amazon yeah. is at my front door probably every day. That guy's going, what in the world is going on over there? So it had, you know, it's, it was a process, but once I started doing it, the content, you know, I started pulling content together and, and really working it. And my oldest son is great. He listens to podcasts and he, he is a great critiquer of me. You know, again, it's the same deal. You know, if I can touch one person with a story, you know, every week, you know, I did what I feel like I'm called to do help people, you know, rewrite a new story for their lives. I mean, yeah. that's kind of the deal for me. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. And I think that if we want to do maybe a couple more episodes together, I think that will be fun. Maybe cross promote some stuff in the future. Yeah, that would be awesome. I would I I was getting ready to ask you if you yeah. want you want to do my show. <laughs> Let's do it. For sure. Absolutely. We'll set that up. Cool. Any words of hope to leave our listeners with, Dave? I want people to know that they can do it. Um, you know, recovery is out there. Recovery is possible for all. You know, there is a way that each and every person can be healed from their addictions, their hurts, their habits, their hangout. Recovery isn't always just for drugs and alcohol. There are, you know, plenty of things that I work on in my life, codependency issues to anger issues, uh, pornography issues to, you know, picking up a chip for food issues. And, you know, it's, that's the biggest thing that I'm working on right now. And I want people to know that it's out there. There's help out there. You have to get over that fear factor. And once you do that, you open yourself up to getting help. It's there, man. Go get it. Amen. Well said, Dave. Thank you. That brings us to the close of today's episode of the Sobriety Diaries. Thanks so much for listening today, friends. Huge thank you to Dave for being so open and honest. Hopefully you heard something that resonates. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts at the Sobriety Diaries, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, where we upload today's video podcast or on Instagram at the Sobriety Diaries Pod. If you'd like to share your story, reach out at the Sobriety Diaries Pod at gmail.com. Check back soon for new episodes with new stories to tell. But until then, try your best not to drink and be good to yourselves. Bye, friends.